Well, hello, everybody, and welcome out to Connect Church this morning. I am so glad to be here with you. My name is Travis. If we've not gotten a chance to meet, I am the youth and next-gen pastor here, and I'd love to meet you after if we've not had the chance to do that yet. A couple of things about me as we're kind of getting started here is I do have an awesome wife. We've been married for about six years now. Her name is Ashley, and I also have—thank you, thank you— Um, And we also have a five-month-old son who is the cutest boy in the entire world. His name is Thomas, and I love him a whole lot. And many of you have probably met him because I get it. Um, He's just the cutest. But a couple of things about me personally. If you don't know me, but if you do come to know me uh, pretty quick, you'll find out that I'm a big nerd about, like, all things. And so I'm a big nerd about coffee, about Marvel Comics, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, the whole shebang. Um, So if you want to talk to me about any of that afterwards, feel free to. But the other thing you should know about me is I've been cooking since I was three years old. My dad's a chef, and so I've been learning to cook. I've been honing that craft for my whole life, and um, it's, it's been an awesome journey. So what I really just told you there is if you have like some sort of secret recipe that you want me to try, I will eat it any day. And so, um, so that, that's, that is my, that's a little bit about me. But we have been in this series as of last week called Fail Forward, where Jay introduced us. And the, here's the idea of this series, is that all of us are not perfect. That's not really a news flash, I hope. Um, But none of us are perfect, and especially those of us who follow Jesus, we're really not perfect. And if you don't follow Jesus in here yet, you probably know that those of us who follow Jesus are really not perfect, and we're really messed up. And so the question then is, is what do we do with those failures in our life? How does the Lord use them? How does he do something with our mistakes? How does he make, how does he help us fail forward? And that's kind of what we're talking about in this series. And so I wanted to continue in our conversation, and I wanted to talk about one simple thing, just one simple thing. And that simple thing—now, here's the deal about simple. Simple isn't easy. I didn't say it was easy. I said it was simple. And so we're going to kind of dive into that here. And so we're going to go over to Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28. If you have your Bible with you, you can go ahead and open that up to Mark chapter 12. Or if you want to follow along in the Bible app, you can search Connect Church, Akron, Ohio. Find us there. I have some notes you can follow along with there as well. But if you want to go there, we can go over to Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And here's what it says. It says this, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he... He being Jesus, answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So we're going to unpack this for a second. Right before this passage, right before what we just read, here's, here was the scene, is Jesus was cornered by some people called the Pharisees and the scribes. And so back then, there were these two groups of people, and these two groups of people, they knew the Bible really, 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 really well. They had the whole thing, mem- most of them had the whole thing memorized. I mean, like, they crazy knew the Bible. And often what they do in the gospel accounts, which the gospel accounts are just the accounts of Jesus's life that we have in the Bible, well, what happened is, is these Pharisees and scribes would come up and go, man, you know what? I bet you I could trap him. I bet you I could trick him into saying something that would be bad if I'd ask him a really crazy crafted question. So that just happened right before this. And then this guy, this other random scribe, heard Jesus's answer to whatever they were talking about. And he goes, hey, that guy knows his stuff. 
I should maybe pay attention. I should ask him a question. I should ask him something. And if you were going to ask somebody who had a bunch of knowledge about something one question, you'd probably want to make it a really good question. And it'd probably be something that you would need to know the answer to. And so I think he asks a really good question. He goes, Jesus, you know, there's a lot of commands in the Bible. What's the most important one? Like, in, in the sense of, like, what, what's the thing that I need to know to make God and you and what you're saying make sense? Like, what's the one thing that I need to know? When I was growing up and my dad was teaching me to cook, um, he started teaching me the very first lesson he taught me when I was three years old. I remember it clear as day. He told me, you can always add, but you can never take away. You know, you can always add more salt. You can always add more pepper. You should always add more garlic. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, you can always add stuff, but you can never take it away. You never take it away. And that, that applies to life too, but that's a lesson for a different day. That one's for free. Um, <laughs> but we're going to talk about that. That was an important thing though that my dad taught me that I needed to know that changed the trajectory of me learning to cook. I needed to know that. That was an important thing that my dad told me that changed how I viewed how I cook as early as three years old. And so Jesus here answers that same question but in a different place. He answers this question about God in the Bible, and he, he summarizes it like this. He says that we should love God and love others. Jesus tells us when he answers this question, he says that we should love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. So he summarizes it in a very simple way. You should love God, and you should love others. Right? Simple thing. And he even go as far as to say, in saying what he says to the scribe, that this is what the entire Bible hinges on. That if you read the whole thing from cover to cover, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, if you didn't get the message to love God and love others, you probably read it wrong. Probably read it wrong. And here's the deal. Both of these commands are really important. They really are. But I want to take some time and focus on the first one of love God. And I want to focus on it for two reasons, okay? The reason I want to focus on it, number one, is that when Jesus... Let's go back for one slide, actually, sorry. Um, when, when Jesus... One more, sorry. When Jesus talks about loving God, he's saying that for one reason. And the first thing is this, is that if we know God, the second command is like it. And the second command is like it, which is to love others. Right? So he says, if you understand what it means to love God, you're just going to naturally love others. Like that's part of who God is, and Jesus understands that. And so we're going to take some time, and we want to focus on this idea to love God. And the second reason I want to focus on it is this. second reason I want to focus on it is because I think we drastically misunderstand what it means to actually love God like Jesus is asking of us. I think we drastically misunderstand what that means. And I know this because I misunderstood it when I was already following Jesus for seven years. What we're about to talk about didn't make sense to me for seven years of me following God. Seven years. I had a relationship with Jesus. This, this didn't make sense. So we're going to unpack this. We're going to look into this, okay? And so um, I think in order to fully understand this, we need to go back to one important thing. And that important thing is we need to go back to salvation, what is, that, what is our salvation actually for? Why do we need it? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean that he died and rose again on the cross for us? 
right? And so I came across this chart a while back in a book. This is not my own work. I just think it's great, and I'm going to share it with you. So here's how the chart looks at the start, right? We've got a blank chart. We'll fill this in as we go. So think about this this way. Right here, you start off your life. You're born. You're walking around. You're, you know, you're not walking. You're a little baby, right? So you're like, you kind of are going along. And think about the, your life going this way toward this direction, right? As you go on in time, you're going towards something. And maybe, you know, you're, you have some kids in here. You maybe have some good breakups or some bad breakups. You know, you have the jobs, the promotions, the life, the kid, whatever, right? I don't know your life. And so somewhere along the way, something happens. And something happens here at this dot. And that something is you come to know who Jesus is. That you come to follow Jesus. And your life changes your life changes in two very big ways, and we'll, we'll talk about those in just a moment, okay? But here's the deal. Your, your life changes when you come to follow Jesus. You, at some point in your life, you looked around, maybe you looked inwardly, you looked outwardly, you saw that, yeah, I've done some things really wrong. I've seen some things that are really wrong. Some bad things have happened to me, I have felt the weight and the muck and the mire and the darkness of the world and it's holding me down. And I can't do anything about it. No matter what I've done, I can't seem to get this darkness, this grime off of me. And I would categorize all of that as sin. Categorize all of that as sin. And so when we feel the weight of sin, we start to look for something. And so this dot, right, when we come to know who Jesus is, is we realize that Jesus came to do something about our sin. That through his death, burial, and resurrection, he comes and he kills sin forever, gives us a new life, a new hope, and a new community. And that he gives you all of that because he loves you out of grace and love. And that's incredible. So your life changes. But what does it change to? We're going to talk about that. I think when, when, when this change happens, two big things happen. The first one is this, is that we come to know and have an awareness of God's holiness or his goodness. It's the first thing we come to know. What do I mean by this? Holiness, goodness, for the purpose of today, is talking about how God is so, such another thing. He is so infinitely good, so infinitely better than us, that we can't even come close to touching where God is. That God is incredible and that he's so holy. He's so good. There's nothing I can do to reach it. The book of Isaiah puts it this way. The prophet of Isaiah puts it this way. In the form of a poem, um, uh, God talks to Isaiah and he says this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, are, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So what God's saying in the form of a poem here, he's saying, guys, like, I, I'm not being mean. I'm just letting you know that the way that I think about the world is totally different than the way you think about the world. Not only the way I think about the world, but the way that I operate and process information, totally different than the way you do. And actually, it goes as far as that the things that I do and the reasons why, totally different than the reasons that you do it. To completely different. Like, they're so infinitely higher, they're so infinitely better than the way that you do things, that you can't really touch it. And you can't really even fathom it. So that's, God, that's, what, that's what God's saying here. We're going to go back to the chart. 
So we have this growing awareness of God's goodness and his holiness. What's this bottom line? The bottom line is that we have an awareness of our sinfulness. We have an awareness of our sinfulness. So in contrast, right, we have this God who's so, his thoughts aren't even the way that we think. The things that he does aren't even the things that we do. And in comparison, we come to know that we're deeply broken. That there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with the way that I do things. There's something profoundly broken in how I walk around in the world. Paul puts it like this in the book of Romans. He says, as it is written, no, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness, and their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Sin is weighty. That at some point when we know that we're sinful, we, we only know ruin and misery. That we don't even know how to walk in the way of peace because of what sin has done to us. And so we go back to the chart. We have this awareness when we come to follow Jesus. What happens is, is we, we know that these two things are true at the same time for the first time, and we have a problem because there's a gap between here and there. There's significant gaps that I've symbolized with these red lines. Um, but like we have a gap here. <coughs> between our sinfulness and God's holiness. And when you first start to follow Jesus, you only understand that that gap is so big. You only understand that it's so big. But as you continue to follow Jesus and grow that relationship, you start to notice that that gap gets bigger. And then you start to notice that, oh man, the gap's even bigger than I thought. Oh wait, it's even bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And so as we go on in our life, that gap becomes a bigger deal. And so that then is the question, is how do we fill the gap? We fill it with the cross, with Jesus. So Jesus is the one who actually bridges the gap between our sinfulness and God's holiness. He makes a way through his death, burial, resurrection to give us a relationship with God. He makes a way for us to have that relationship, to love him and have eternal life that starts right now. And as you can see, if we know and we're moving along that our life is that there's a bigger and bigger gap, that as we move on with our relationship with Jesus, there's going to be, he's going to become a bigger and bigger deal. And the cross is going to become more and more and more significant over time in our life. However, this, this is difficult work. 
I want to be really clear, too, that when I say that, that these two things are growing infinitely, when I say the awareness, awareness is the key word here. Like, God's not getting more holy over time. I'm not getting more sinful over time or less sinful. What, like, no, it's, it's awareness. We're, but we're infinitely sinful, and God's infinitely good. That, that just is. So when we see this gap... We see this cross. The question is, how do we grow in our awareness of both of these things? How do we do it? First thing is this. When you learn more about God to grow in an awareness of his holiness, you learn more by spending time with him. It's a relationship after all. What might that relationship look like? Well, if you're going to spend time with him, you got to spend time with him. You got to read some Bible. You got to maybe go to a life group. And in that life group, don't just be a passive participant. You got to come and wrestle with the hard questions. There's some hard questions in the Bible, things that need answers, things that need discussed, things that we have to talk about. Maybe it's going to one of those groups and discussing that and actually engaging and wrestling with the Bible. Maybe it's serving Maybe it's coming and holding a door. Maybe it's pointing a camera. Maybe it's helping run the slides. I don't know. There's all sorts of ways to serve. Maybe it's making your neighbor a meal. Maybe it's going on a missions trip, which shameless plug, if you are a youth or a young adult, we do have the Mission Akron meeting right after this in this room. So I'd love to have you there for an informational meeting. Parents too. Um, so that, that, but that's, that's for later. But I did want you to let you know that that's happening. But if maybe that's how you grow in your relationship with God. You go, and, you go and put yourself aside for the benefit of other people. Now, growing in your awareness of how sinful you are, that's hard. That's really hard. There is no way for me to sugarcoat this. This is going to be painful and it's going to suck. Because here's why. It requires being vulnerable. And it requires being vulnerable with two things, two things. And you have to have both. There is no or in what I'm about to say. You have to be honest and transparent with God himself. And, and, you have to be honest and transparent with other trusted people in your life. And I say trusted because not everybody deserves that vulnerability. But you have to have that. You have to have that vulnerability with God and you have to have that vulnerability with other trusted people. And then you have to do the hard thing and you have to look at that other trusted person and you have to ask them to point out where you're broken. And you don't get the opportunity to defend yourself. You just have to listen. You have to allow them, give them full access to pointing out your own faults. And that's hard. And that's painful. But it is oh so helpful. But look, this, what I have right here on this chart, I stand by it. I think it's super helpful. 
This is in a perfect scenario and a perfect world where everything is just rainbows and butterflies and your life looks like you can just plot it out so easily and that when you're walking around and you're growing in your relationship with Jesus, that it just infinitely gets bigger and he becomes a bigger and bigger part of your life. And I would love to tell you that life works out exactly like this, but it doesn't. Because here's the deal. We get in our own way and we fail and we fail really hard. And ultimately what we do is we shrink the cross. We shrink the cross. And so instead of the cross becoming bigger over time, we put these blocks in the way, symbolized by these wonderful blue triangles. And so, so we, we put these blocks in the way that instead of the cross and be, instead of our relationship with Jesus becoming bigger and bigger, we make him a lesser deal than he actually is. How do we do that? How do we do that? We do that in generally in two different ways. I, there's plenty of other ways, but here's two ways that I see that are the most common, are performing and pretending. And these are intentionally placed here where they are. Let's start with pretending. Pretending happens when I justify my own actions. When I try to make myself not seem as bad as I actually am. When I try to make my sin out to be not as bad as it actually is. And it sounds like this. Here's how pretending sounds. You know, the thing is, is if I lie to my mom, it's, it's not actually that big of a deal because it's actually protecting her from, from the truth that she probably can't handle anyway. Or, or you know, like maybe, maybe it's just a little bit of porn. I didn't like cheat on my wife or anything. It's not that bad. It could be worse. Or maybe, you know, like, it's, it's just a little bit of weed. It's not heroin. It's not that big of a deal. It's not. Ooh, that was fun. <laughs> but we justify it. And then we start to compare. I'm not as bad as the Republicans. I'm not as bad as the Democrats. Hey, I'm not as bad as the straight people. I'm not as bad as the LGBT people. I'm not as bad as my brother. I'm not as bad as the pastor. I'm not as... You see where the comparison starts to happen? We start to justify our own brokenness and our own sin and we hoist that responsibility onto somebody else instead of owning it and admitting that we have a problem. So we pretend. Then we, saw, then we perform. Right? So performing is this. Performing looks like I have this checklist of things to prove that I'm not that bad. I go to church every week. Most people only go to church only two out of every five weeks. I go every week. I've read the Bible cover to cover 17 times. I for sure know my stuff. I've been to every Bible study there ever is. I've been to every life group. I go to church. I do all the right things, God. Look how good I actually am. And you can see where these two things even start to bleed into each other. They start to bleed into each other hard. But when we perform, because it's related to God's holiness, you're going to perform based off of your view of God right now. So think about it this way. If you closed your eyes right now and you thought about God looking at you, what's his facial expression right now? Is he angry with you? Is he smiling at you? Do you not even see his face because he's so distant? You just see his back. 
Is he like every good mom? He's not mad. He's just a little disappointed. What is his facial expression toward you? Depending on the answer to that, you are going to perform in different ways because you're trying to impress that God. So everything I just talked about, everything we just discussed, it's very up here, very up here, very conceptual. And maybe you've been able to connect the dots in your own life in some ways, right? But I want to put some skin on this. I'll put some skin on this from my own life. So I'm going to be real vulnerable with you guys real fast, okay? So here's how this looked in my life. In my past, I had a crippling addiction to pornography, to porn. That was my life. And statistically, most of you in here also have that problem. So I have that problem. I did. And porn, here's the thing, is incredibly destructive, I don't even have to say that sentence out loud, though, because all of you know that. And the reason I know that you know that is because I knew that when I was in the middle of it. When I was in the middle of my addiction, I'm like, I know this is destroying how I view people. I know this is destroying my ability to be vulnerable with other people. I know this is destroying all sorts of things. I was watching it happen. I just couldn't stop. And how often is other sin like that? You see that it's destroying you and other people around you, and you know it. But you, you just kind of can't stop. So here's, here's how this would go in the middle of my addiction. Here's how this chart would play out in my life, okay? So I would go and I would look at it, right? And then afterwards, I would feel like God was super disappointed in me for looking at it again. And so I would feel like he was so disappointed in me that I had to prove to him that I wasn't that bad, and so how, how would I do that? I would do that by showing him how good I was at not sinning. My performance was, God, look how, look how long I've gone without looking at it. Look how good I'm doing at not sinning. I'm the best. I'm really not that bad, God. Like, like I know you're disappointed in me because I've kept going back to this over and over and over and over and over again, but like, I can go a while without it. It's fine. So I would look like there I was, Right? It would look like me bringing my performance of I didn't do the thing and I'm not that bad. But that didn't feel like enough. It didn't feel like enough. So then I would go to church every week and I would make sure that I was there all the time. I would lead several Bible studies, several life groups. At one point during this time in my life, I was leading six Bible studies a week. You couldn't find a more committed person than Travis, right? And I would pray, but they weren't honest prayers. They were prayers to make me look better than I actually was. They were prayers that were totally based off of me looking good, not actually being vulnerable with my God who cares about me. But then that's where pretending started to creep in. Because then I would go and look at porn and then I would feel like God was so disappointed in me that I would have to like not do it, right? And then I would go and do a bunch of church things to impress him and I present my awesome list to him of the things that I did. But that never felt like enough either. And so then that caused me to say like, man, you know what? I have this list of things I have done. Like I'm, I'm so good at going to church. 
I'm so good at going to these Bible studies, God. Like, I'm actually not that bad. Like, sure, I look at porn a little bit here and there, but like, you know, I'm still more devoted than anybody else at this church. I still do more things for you that you can use even in the middle of this. So like, it's not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. And then after all that, that still wasn't enough. Because here's what happened to me. I realized very quickly that if I'm leading a Bible study and talking about a relational God all the time, at some point in time, people would have to know who Travis is. They would have to see the real me, right? They'd have to, they'd have to see my vulnerable state. So what did I do? I just decided I have to be smarter than everybody in the room. If I'm smarter than everybody in the room and I know more things, I can talk myself out of anything. And I can actually, I can do it in such a way that it just makes Travis look really, really, really great. Because he knows so much. And he's so helpful and he serves so much and blah, blah, blah. I tell you, I could have received an Oscar for how well I acted. I was two different people. So here's the question. How did that Travis change? What changed? Here's what changed. I remember it like it was yesterday. My campus minister, who really, really, really invested in me, he was the one who equipped me to lead those six Bible studies a week. He realized that something wasn't right with Travis, with me. And he knew I couldn't get out of it alone. And so he goes, hey man, I'm speaking somewhere across the state. Do you want to come on a road trip with me? Come see me speak, hang out with other students there and come back. And I was like, heck yeah, that sounds like a blast. And he's like, awesome. And the reason I remember it so well is because we got in his truck and his truck was falling apart at the time and the interior, you know how it's like the, the fabric ceiling? Well, it was totally coming off and it would hit you in the head constantly. So like we're driving around and bouncing around and there's just part of a car hanging on your head. And so I remember having this whole conversation for f- two hours driving to this other school where my friend looked at me and he said, Travis, I think that you have shrunk Jesus almost entirely out of your life. And you know what else I think, Travis? I said, what? He said, I think that you're living for a God who's so disappointed in you that he doesn't even care anymore. And it's killing you. And it's killing you. So in that moment of incredible vulnerability, spurred on by a friend who loved me more than I deserve, he looked at me and he helped me realize that God is so good that I could never climb the mountain to get to him. I could never make it. And he helped me realize that it was Jesus who looked at me failing on the mountain, 
who had been really good at climbing for a really long time, but was tired and bloody and worn out and just couldn't keep going. And Jesus looked at that guy suffering and he came out of heaven for me, for you. He came down to get you, and it wasn't like a disappointed come down to get you. It wasn't like a, ah, geez, Travis messed up again, and he fell down the cliff. Let's go get him. It wasn't any of that. He did it because he loves me. He loved me too much to let me keep being separated from him. And I want that for you. I wish I knew this sooner than I did. It would have saved me years of pain. It would have saved me years of time where I had to rebuild trust with people that I thought I already had trust with. And brings us to our connection point connection point is this, is that we need to move forward and magnify Jesus. Move forward and magnify Jesus. Because here's the deal, with that chart that we were just looking at, we're always moving forward, but it's a messy forward. It's one that is full of mountaintop experiences and deep, deep valleys. One where right now, Jesus may be the biggest thing in your life, and the cross may be huge in your life when you walked in here, but the second you walk out those doors, you shrink the cross because your car got hit in the parking lot, because the kids yelled at you, because I don't know what. But we move forward. Because as we're moving forward, that's where the good work and relationship that Jesus offers makes sense. That he uses all of those mistakes, all of those mountains, all of those valleys, all the times where the cross is huge, all the times where the cross is small, to make us better, to show us love, to show us healing. So that kind of leaves us with two different people in this room right now. I want to talk to each of you. First one is this, is maybe, maybe you're sitting here and this all clicked for you for the first time. Maybe you have now seen the profound gap between God's goodness and your sinfulness for the very first time that you understand that I've done some things, I've seen some things, some things have been done to me that have destroyed me. And I need help. I need that relationship with Jesus. And maybe that's you and that's clicking for the first time right now. I want you to know that he offers you a new life. He offers you a new hope. He offers you a new community. He offers you rest and peace and healing that you can never imagine. You should let him 
you should enter that relationship with him because it's the best thing you'll ever do. And then there's some of us in here. There's some of us in here who have followed Jesus for a really long time, maybe even just a short amount of time, but you followed him. You would consider yourself a Christ follower. But you've shrunk the cross, man. You've shrunk the cross and Jesus is barely part of a, you don't even have a relationship with him anymore. That your relationship with Jesus is just a checkbox on your phone. That you check off every week to prove that you're the good Christian person. That you're pretending that you're much better than you actually are. the detriment of honest relationship. And you may be trying to climb that mountain, but you need a break. You need some rest. You need some healing. You need some good people around you to help magnify Jesus in your life again and to help grow that relationship instead of shrinking it down to nothingness. Maybe you need to have that really hard cup of coffee with a friend. Maybe this week. Lord, we thank you. Help us with this. We know that you love us. We know that we're broken at the same time. And God, I pray for my friends in here that they would embrace the honest relationship that you offer instead of a checkbox. That you would fill the gap in their life. The gap that keeps us from you, from healing, from that new life that you offer. And I ask that we would be able to help magnify you in our lives. To be able to spur each other on in that way and go back to why it all really matters because of your work, Jesus. Allow us to rest in that and accept the freedom that you offer. are so good to us. In Jesus' name.